Hey folks, welcome back to our ongoing coverage of the Ahmad Arbery case in which defendants Greg McMichael, Travis McMichael, and William Roddy Bryan are being tried for murder and other charges in the shooting death of Ahmad Arbery. I am, of course, attorney Andrew Branca for Law of Self-Defense. Today, the court proceeded with jury selection or voir dire again for the seventh day with the goal of impaneling 12 jurors and four alternates. Today was the seventh group of prospective jurors put through the selection process, which each group nominally numbering 20 people. Let me share some of the key findings from today's general voir dire right at the start. A majority, 60% of the prospective jurors today indicated that they had already formed an opinion about the guilt of the defendants. An even larger majority, 70%, indicated that they had formed negative feelings towards one or more of the defendants, usually all three. Nearly half, remarkably, had a relative or close friend in law enforcement. And ironically enough, the same proportion had also had a relative or close friend who had been arrested, prosecuted, or convicted of a serious crime. The same proportion, 45%, again, believe that people of color were not treated fairly by the criminal justice system or, generally, by the police. The same proportion also indicated that they had some life event coming up that would prevent them from giving their full attention to the trial. This is basically a don't pick me for jury duty question. And fully 40% of the prospective jurors indicated that they were concerned that whatever verdict they might arrive at would cause them considerable strife in their lives, work, family, community, and so forth. So today's voir dire process continued in the usual manner with this general group voir dire being conducted in the jury assembly room and subsequent individual voir dire conducted in the courtroom afterwards. Unfortunately, the individual voir dire again has no audio, so no purpose to us monitoring that. In any case, we'll share our notes and video of the general voir dire proceedings with all of you here. So it's has our own video and the video segments from the jury assembly room of Judge Wamsley's opening comments, the state's questions to the prospective jurors, the defense questions to the prospective jurors, and of course, Judge Wamsley's closing comments. So all that video is embedded in the text version of today's content. Before I dive into that, however, there was a somewhat remarkable exchange between the defense teams represented in this context by Travis McMichael's attorney, Jason Sheffield, speaking presumably for all the defense counsel on one side and trial judge Timothy Walmsley on the other side. And I do have video of that exchange embedded in the text version of today's content. Now, the issue discussed is a bit inside baseball, kind of technical for non-lawyer readers, but I expect many of you will find it interesting, so I'll dig into it here. In a nutshell, Attorney Sheffield was asking Judge Walmsley to better assist the defense in ensuring there is a perfected record in this case. Now, a perfected record means that every facet of the proceedings are fully captured. So, for example, if the parties come to some agreement about a particular witness or piece of evidence, that agreement will be recorded as part of the trial transcript, or one of the parties will write up a memorandum of understanding or an offer of proof or some other document that explicitly captures that agreement in detail. The goal is to strip away as much ambiguity from the trial proceedings as possible. Similarly, it means that every decision made by the judge is 
ideally accompanied by the legal rationale behind that decision. Now, in practice, it's not uncommon for one party to object to some event at trial, and if the basis for the objection is obvious to all the lawyers in the room, the judge may simply sustain or overrule the objection without stating a particular reason or rationale. Sometimes, however, there might be several legal rationales for sustaining or overruling an objection, and perhaps not all of them are of equal legal merit. In those cases, if the judge doesn't specify the legal rationale applied, no one can really be sure how or why that decision was made. As a practical matter, generally everyone involved in a trial would like a reasonably thorough record of the proceedings of the events taking place. It's just good legal practice. But there are also circumstances in which one party, in criminal cases, it's usually the defense, begins to become hyper vigilant about having as perfect a record as possible, document every discussion, have a reason for every decision, encourage the judge to provide his specific legal rationale for every ruling. And the primary circumstance for a defense lawyer being hypervigilant in securing as absolutely perfect and thorough a record as possible is when that lawyer has begun to believe that he's almost certainly going to end up with a guilty verdict that will have to be appealed. Because that's where the real utility of a perfect trial record is realized, in the appellate courts. The grounds for an appeal are generally some form of claim that the trial judge made a legal error at trial, that the trial judge improperly excluded or admitted some piece of evidence, or improperly excluded or admitted a legal argument, or, particularly relevant in this case, that the trial judge made inadequate efforts to ensure a fair and impartial jury for the trial. When the appellate courts review such claims of appeal, however, they give enormous discretion to the decisions of the trial judge. Indeed, for the most part, a reversal of a conviction on any of these grounds will be granted only where the appellate court concludes that the trial judge, quote-unquote, abused the use of its discretion. That's a very high legal threshold that's very difficult to achieve. And the burden is entirely on the appellant to achieve that threshold. It's worth remembering that while you are at trial, you are presumed innocent and the state must prove you guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. The state carries that heavy burden. Once convicted, however, you are presumed guilty. And now you bear the heavy burden of reversing that presumption and that conviction. That's a burden that's even harder to meet, however, if the trial record is sloppy. If it's unclear, for example, why a judge made a particular ruling, and there are both sound and unsound legal rationales for the ruling, if the rationale used by the judge is unstated in the record, the appellate court will presume that the trial judge applied the correct one. If, on the other hand, the judge was asked to specify his legal rationale, and he applied an unsound rationale, then that's arguably a legal error that could justify a reversal of a conviction. But you need the record to be perfected to be able to show that. So if a defense lawyer is looking down the train tunnel and seeing a big light coming his way, he becomes increasingly concerned and hypervigilant about securing as perfect a record of the trial proceedings as is possible. And those are the thoughts that came to my mind when I watched this roughly six-minute exchange between defense counsel Jason Sheffield 
representing Travis McMichael, but presumably in this context, speaking for all the defense lawyers on the case and Judge Timothy Walmsley. In effect, Sheffield was asking Judge Walmsley to provide a greater level of insight into his rulings than he has been providing to date. And Sheffield explicitly stated as the reason for his request, his concern that the trial produce as perfect a record as possible. There have, in fact, been several times when defense lawyers have expressed uncertainty about Judge Walmsley's rulings in terms of their scope, for example, or their underlying rationale. Yesterday, for example, Frank Ho, uh, one of the attorneys for Greg McMichael, sought clarity on one of the judge's rulings on the additional requested jury instructions. We talked about that yesterday. And Judge Walmsley became resistant to providing that greater clarity. When Ho sought to paraphrase The judge's ruling in an effort to strip away some of the ambiguity, Judge Walmsley informed him that his paraphrase was incorrect, but declined to explain precisely how. Ho even offered that if the prosecutors on the case accurately understood the basis of the court's ruling, he'd be happy to have the state explain it to him. That, of course, went nowhere. Now, I suspect similar frustrations have occurred during the extensive and time-consuming individual voir dire taking place each afternoon in the courtroom, although that's largely speculation on my part, having not had the opportunity to observe that part of the jury selection process. It's not being broadcast in any useful way. In any case, when Sheffield today asked Judge Walmsley to provide greater insight into the legal rationale for his various rulings, For the explicit purpose of ensuring a perfect record, Judge Walmsley once again became resistant to the request. And again, you can see that for yourself in the video of that exchange, which I have embedded in the text version of today's content. So why might the defense attorneys be increasingly alarmed about the need for a perfect record of the trial proceedings? Well, since jury selection began last Monday, the proportion of prospective jurors who have already formed an opinion as to the guilt of the defendants is nothing short of alarming, if not surprising given the 20 months of propaganda the local community has been subject to. Specifically, when each group of 20 prospective jurors is asked by Judge Walmsley if they already have formed an opinion as to the guilt of the defendants, on average, fully half of each group answers in the affirmative. Half. And in some of those pools, their percentage with an already formed opinion on guilt is as high as 65%. Similarly, but trending even worse, when each group of 20 prospective jurors is asked by defense counsel Sheffield if they have already formed a negative perception of the defendants, the percentage answering in the affirmative has increased from an average of 28% during last week's voir dire and skyrocketed past 50% in this week's voir dire. Keep in mind that in a typical criminal prosecution, the prospective jurors have zero knowledge or formed opinion of the defendants, and something on the order of 90% plus of those defendants get convicted. When you're starting out with a jury pool where already half or more of the prospective jurors have already formed an opinion as to guilt and have formed a negative opinion about your client, that's not a great place to begin, completely separate from the legal merits of the case. And as noted, the more convinced the defense is that, in effect, the jury fix is in and a conviction inevitable on that basis and entirely unconnected to the actual legal merits of the criminal charges, the more hypervigilant the defense becomes about ensuring as perfect a record as possible, 
in order to be prepared for the apparently unavoidable appeal they see coming their way. Now, as anyone who's followed me for any time will know, my own position on such things is that if the state cannot provide a fair and impartial trial of a defendant, the solution is not to just go ahead and unfairly try the defendant anyway. The appropriate solution is to not try the defendant until a fair and impartial trial can be offered. That's what our Constitution requires, in my view. Of course, having given you all that inside baseball commentary, much of it is speculation on my part, but perhaps somewhat well-informed speculation. In any case, with those thoughts out of the way, let's dive into today's voir dire. Before I do, however, I would like to mention the sponsor of today's content, which is CCW Safe, a provider of legal service memberships, what many people mistakenly call self-defense insurance. CCW Safe promises to pay its members legal expenses if the member is involved in the use of force event, and those expenses start big and get bigger fast, folks. If you've had to kill someone in self-defense and find yourself charged with murder or manslaughter, it's easy to burn through $200,000 in legal expenses before you get to trial. So if you don't have that kind of money stuffed in a mattress, just in case you're compelled to defend yourself or your family, it can be helpful to have a partner standing behind you with the resources you need to fight that legal battle the way you want it fought, as if the rest of your life depended on it, because it really does. I've looked at all the companies that offer this kind of service, as you might imagine. I found that CCW Safe is by far the best choice for me. I'm personally a member. My wife, Emily, is personally a member. Whether they're the best choice for you is something only you can decide, but I do encourage you to take a look at what they have to offer by pointing your browser to lawofselfdefense.com slash CCWSafe. And if you do decide to become a member there, you can save 10% off your membership with them by using the discount code L-O-S-D-10, that's L-O-S-D for Law of Self-Defense, and the number 10 at that URL, lawofselfdefense.com slash ccwsafe. Okay, so now let's dive into today's general voir dire. Once again, today's general voir dire was a four-stage process with welcoming remarks and a few questions by Judge Walmsley, then extensive questions by Senior Assistant District Attorney Linda Donikowski, more succinct questioning by defense counsel Jason Sheffield, and finally closing remarks and cautions to the prospective jurors by Judge Walmsley, after which the court transitioned into individual voir dire. Judge Walmsley, as you might expect, gave the same opening remarks basically that he's given to every other group of 20 prospective jurors. Um, he did ask them four general questions himself, as he always does. Those questions were whether any of them were related to any of the defendants or to Ahmad Arbery, nobody was. Whether they had any prejudice or bias, either for or against the accused, they no one said they did, but when asked if they had already formed an opinion as to guilt or innocence of the accused, fully 12 of the 20, 60% of them said they had already formed an opinion as to guilt or innocence of the accused. And when asked if they were not perfectly impartial between the state and the accused, five of them raised their hands, a quarter of those present. After those questions from the judge, he handed things over for general voir dire to the state in the form of senior assistant district attorney, Linda Donikowski. 
Uh, she went through her usual list of roughly 80 questions, took about 40 minutes. That included her reading through a lengthy list of prospective witnesses to see if any of the prospective jurors knew any of the witnesses. I won't step through these 80 questions in detail, but I do, of course, embed the video of all this in the text version of today's content, as well as the written out questions and responses from the jurors in the text version of today's content. So after the state was done, they, of course, handed over General Vaudier to the defense in the person of uh, defense counsel Jason Sheffield, who represents Travis McMichael, but has been conducting the defense General Vaudier for the entire group of defense attorneys. Uh, as usual, his questioning of the pool took about 15 minutes. He asked about 20 questions, uh, essentially identical to what he asked yesterday. Um, I, again, just like with the state, I won't step through those 20 questions here. It would simply take too much time. But we do have them in both video and written out form with the jury responses by number in the text version of today's content. Once the defense was done, they, of course, turned things back over to Judge Walmsley, who closed up the journal voir dire by giving his usual cautions to the jury. Don't talk to anybody about the case. Uh, don't talk amongst yourselves to anybody else. Don't look up information on the Internet. Don't watch the media about this. Don't go to the neighborhoods involved. If anybody tries to talk to you, let the court know and all that. And that wrapped up General Voidier. After that, the court transitioned out of the jury assembly room into the actual courtroom for individual Voidier. Uh, but again, that's broadcast without audio, so there's no point to me covering that. Presumably, the local journalists will continue to report the bare facts uh, about such things as how many jurors were dismissed and how many were qualified and how many were seated once jurors actually begin to get seated. And of course, I'll share that information with all of you as it comes our way. Okay, folks. Remember, if you carry a gun so you're hard to kill, that's why I carry a gun so I'm hard to kill, so my family is hard to kill, then you also owe it to yourself and your family to make sure you know the law so you're hard to convict. Until next time, I remain Attorney Andrew Branca for Law Self-Defense. Stay safe.